0: one and all to episode 217 of the SLS cast yes ladies and gentlemen this would be the sum of all the factors episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that if you need to know what number would happen to be the sum of all the factors of 100 that number would be 200. 17. And with that little bit of uh, mathematical factor knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us
1: all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim, who apparently had no idea of what episode number we were on because I had written on my show notes here, episode 127. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. It just means that time went by so fast and or I'm have been drugged in a coma for a hundred and something episodes. Well,
0: just 90. Just 90
1: episodes. Well, that's what I meant. I can't count either. I think that is the problem. <laughs> that is the problem.
0: Uh, oh my goodness. So how's school? Uh, school, School's good, actually. Um, uh, So far, I'm actually kind of ahead of the curve on the classes. And uh, two of the classes that I'm taking online seem to be a kind of work at your own pace class. So I might, fingers crossed, and you know, if I... Don't get lazy and procrastinate. I might actually be able to get most of the semester knocked out uh by the end of the month. We'll see. Chances are I'll probably procrastinate, though, because I'm kind of a shithead like that.
1: The work at your own pace courses, are those your history of plastic surgery and history of breast implants? courses that (laughs) oh are you kidding
0: Uh, i'd be able to get those knocked out in like eight or nine minute sessions over the course of like a week i think um but uh no um it actually it is the geology class that i'm taking and the philosophy class i'm taking geology really Oh wait, I'm sorry. Did I say geology? I apologize. Geography. Oh, Let's, okay. There we go. Geography. I already took geology. That was my science. I took my my year of science was geology.
1: I was about to say I've never met a geologist or a teacher who teaches geology class that would like their students to work at their own pace. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to take about a month to memorize these five rocks and all their components.
0: Oh God, I had to memorize so many rocks so many rocks to remember uh, do you remember that? any of them nope I remember there was igneous rock and uh, like chemical reaction rock or something like that oh or yes any, i don't know the yeah.
1: aluminous <laughs> chemical reaction rock if you touch it a chemical reaction might happen
0: yes you know i i don't was i just um what was the the sedimentary and the metamorphic rocks there you go see there's your three types of rocks those are the three types of rocks anyway but uh what what about you sir what's life what's life been like for you did you get over your malaise of uh of of um the planet of the Apes series did did you dare
1: go back and finish or no not at all <laughs> i moved on to the resident evil series which i stopped oh, midway wow. through the second one i i haven't gotten back into it the, i all i got to say is that the first resident evil is better with age because you, you have nothing to really compare it to like all the zombie movies that are out now, they're all kind of the same. You know, they, they follow the same formula. But this one was something different. It's what people really didn't want in the early 2000s. What we wanted in the early 2000s were the zombie movies that we have now. So, since we have that now, it's kind of nice watching something a little bit different. A different take on the zombie movie genre, I guess. But I think the one thing I did this past week that is probably worth mentioning is that I visited the Egyptian Theater there in Hollywood, California, and it's one of the Grauman's Theaters. The other Grauman's Theater was the Grauman's Chinese Theater, which is not that anymore. But the Grauman's, Sid Grauman's Egyptian Theater was built before the Chinese Theater. And They show a lot of older flicks, and I saw a double feature of Terry Gilliam movies last Saturday, and those two were Brazil, which is my all-time favorite Terry Gilliam movie, and then Time Bandits, which is not a favorite Terry Gilliam movie of mine, but I owed it to 40-year-old boys out there who tell me how wrong I am for not really liking Time Bandits, so I was willing to give it a shot on the big screen. Matt, are you a Time Bandits fan? Did you grow up with that? movie
0: you know i i did actually grow up with that um that was one of it's one of the first movies that my stepdad ever really was passionate about so i sat down and watched and i mean it was it's entertaining
1: like it's it was my first it was, yeah, I mean,
0: it was truly my first uh, experience with terry gilliam and even then even then i was kind of like I'm not sure if I like it or not. It is entertaining though. You can't, but on the whole, I couldn't decide what it was. But I mean, my stepdad watched it religiously. Anytime he could get his hands on it, if it was on TV or whatever, he didn't, it didn't matter. He would be watching it. Um, he is a big Terry Gilliam fan. Well,
1: so. that's cool. So I have a little bit of news of the weird. If you don't mind me bringing that up real quick. Um, no, go jump in.
0: Yeah, jump in. We'll we'll get we'll, we got lots of movies to cover, so let's just jump right in, sir.
1: But before I jump into it, I must ask you, Matthew, do you like Burger King? Uh sure. Um in an, in an effort to
0: um attempt to be somewhat more healthy, I have kind of given up on the fast food. So, um I haven't been for a couple of months. Yeah. But I, I, I recall liking it. I had never had anything against it. Did you like the French fries at Burger King? Fuck no. Those fucking weird ass fucking fake ass fucking french fries that they switched to. And then when they finally admitted that those fucking things suck dick. uh And then they switched to these weird fucking steak fries that were always halfway fucking floppy. And then halfway too fucking like stabby in the roof of your fucking mouth like a shot of fucking lidocaine or something. No. Uh, I have not been a fan of their fucking fries for years.
1: Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, I won't hold back. Well, apparently... It, okay, this doesn't really apply to you uh, too much, I guess. Um, but you might <laughs> you might very much like the second part of this, uh, this story here. If you go through the drive-thru of this Burger King in New Hampshire, I think, and you order the extra crispy fries, basically, you're asking for some weed. So if you knew... That ordering extra crispy fries was code for I want to purchase a bag of weed. Would you then order extra crispy fries at a Burger King? Sure. <laughs> because some people who, did. Who doesn't like extra
0: Who doesn't like extra crispy fries, right? Yeah. I mean, I know that Jen loves extra crispy fries. Um, though she would probably be mortified when she got the pot, because she like legitimately loves extra crispy
1: fries. Well, according to Vice.com, a Burger King was allegedly selling weed to customers who asked for extra crispy fries. This is written by Brian Moylan, and it says this. A couple of fast food employees in New Hampshire, ah, it is New Hampshire, are now facing charges after they were busted for selling weed out of the drive-thru of their local Burger King, Seacoast Online Reports. The two masterminds, Garrett, Nasty Boy, Norris... (laughs) I shit you not, that is in quotation marks, and that is his uh, nickname. Garrett Nasty Boy Norris, who's 20 years old, and his alleged accomplice Megan Dearborn, 19, were apparently selling marijuana to customers who came to the establishment and specifically asked for, quote, extra crispy fries, end quote. It's not clear how long the pair was running their side hustle before police in town of Epping, population of 6,144, caught on. Last Saturday, an undercover cop pulled up to the restaurant, asked if, quote, nasty boy, end quote, was working, and then placed his order with a side of extra crispy fries. Norris then reportedly gave the guy his whopperito or whatever, along with a coffee cup full of pot, Yes, a coffee cup full of pot. Norris was charged with possession of an unlawful substance and intent to distribute. Dearborn, an assistant shift manager, was also arrested and charged with conspiracy to distribute and unlawful possession of alcohol. They were both released on $2,500 bail and will be arraigned next month. Uh, There's a little more to it, but that's pretty much it. Uh, For one thing, I, I mean... When you buy drugs, you can never buy drugs from somebody named Nasty Boy. That is a horrible, horrible drug-dealing name. Nasty Boy. Who wants to go buy some cocaine from Nasty Boy Norris? Who wants to go buy some heroin from Nasty Boy Norris? More than likely, your drugs can be nasty.
0: I, I don't know. I, I gotta say that if uh anybody could do it,
1: it would be it would be nasty
0: boy. You don't acquire a name like that without being able to do nasty things. So, and and if you want to consider getting drugs to be nasty, then who knows? Maybe your Charlie will be extra special. You know what I mean?
1: Like how much shit did he have to shove up his ass <laughs> to get that nickname, and then gain so much respect from his friends? That they agreed to continue to call him that. I, I It beats me. But if you want to read more about it, do check out Vice's article. A Burger King was allegedly selling weed to customers who asked for extra crispy fries. Awesome. Awesome.
0: All right, well, we're going to go ahead and jump into the old mail sack, where if you would like to send us an email, you, of course, can by doing so. Um. And how would you do so? This is how you do so. Send it to the show at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter if that is your heart's desire by following us at the SLScast. So taking a quick peek inside the old mail sack, it looks like we've got three. Count them, three new Twitter followers to mention. Let's see here. It looks like we have the Yes Listen podcast, which would be at Yes Listen, Mr. (laughs) and the mister is just mr and it looks like it's a couple of uh people who are who like to review movies of all genres there you go uh katie and lance are your co-hosts check that out look it's, it's like people like us tim who knew? Uh, we also have Prop- Popcorn Prattle, which would be at popcorn underscore prattle. And it says here that we're a film podcast that discusses movies, movie news, and filmmaking. Oh, my gosh. There's more people that are just like us. That's freaking amazing and finally we have blockbuster mentality which will be at blockbuster cast and it's just two friends discussing all things movies i swear i think people have found us finally and it's like hey they do what we do and we're like hey you know you do what we do and now here we are all doing what we all do
1: or they decided to follow back after i followed them on twitter
0: oh well there you go so there there's that as well. But no matter what, thanks for following us. Uh you know, I, I, or 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 uh thanks for following us too, as Eeyore might say. Um but let's see here. Getting to our email, we have our email from Diana Weeks. The subject is La La Musing. Hey guys with La La land in the news with it tying Titanic and its number of Oscar nominations it got me thinking of Tim's problem with the song and dance scenes I think they purposely wanted non-sing and dance types to perform these to perform those scenes as more an homage to the great song and dance productions the way us regular humans would imitate them out of sheer delightful fandom yours in fandom Diana. Um, thank you very much, Diana. What do you think, Tim? Do, does she have a point? Do, do you think that they um, were trying to do that, pay an homage, have it not be quite as slick as it could have been um, so that you could say it was more like regular people doing it? Or
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with Diana. And I know that's what they were trying to go for. They were wanting it to be more, uh, more so grounded in reality and have it come across as real Real relationships, real people singing this on the spot. I, I get all that, and that's cool. It's just my my big beef with that, and the reason why I don't think it it worked as well as as what people are thinking. I guess because clearly I'm in the minority here. The movie itself felt like a homage, and it didn't really like it didn't commit to it enough, and it felt like that's what it was trying to do at first, but then it backed down from it. Like, the first half of the movie, you have uh, you know a fair amount of song and dance stuff. And the second half of the movie, it's virtually absent until closer to the end. So, I just wanted them to crap or get off the pot. Commit to it, or don't make yourself out to be something that you're not. Again, I'm clearly in the minority, but I,
0: I definitely understand Diana. I can see where both of y'all are coming from on it, but I mean, for me, like, because I, I criticize, um, Ryan Gosling's performance a little bit. So, I mean, I can definitely see where both of y'all are coming from on it. I, I, I don't know that it necessarily deserves all of the praise that it's getting, but it is a good movie. So, you know, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see where it all, uh, you know, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, as they like to say. Come the 27th or I guess late, late on the 26th of February, we'll know how it all turns out. So cool. And thank you so much again, Diana, for writing it. We, we do love when our friends, uh, write us. But of course, please again, if you feel like writing us, let us know how we're doing, how we're not doing, questions, comments, concerns about anything we have covered or may not have covered. Again, send an email to the show at slscast.com. And if you get those random follows from this dude named Tim at the SLS cast, you can just follow us right back at the SLS cast on Twitter. Uh, would you like to go ahead and jump into the news, sir? Sounds good. All right, folks. Here we go. It's the news. And first up from me, this is actually something that I literally discovered just moments ago from Variety.com by way of Justin Kroll. Ben Affleck will not direct the Batman exclusive. So this is an exclusive for Variety. Please make sure you go and check them out for this. Uh, again, this was not covered in pre-show because I just found it. Uh, ben Affleck has decided to step down as the director of the Batman and remain on as a producer and star of the project. Quite vote There are certain characters who hold a special place in the hearts of millions. Performing this role demands focus, passion, and the very best performance I can give. It has become clear that I cannot do both jobs to the level they require. Together with the studio, I have decided to find a partner and a director who will collaborate with me on this massive film. I am still in this, and we are making it, but we are currently looking for a director. I remain extremely committed to this project and look forward to bringing this to life for fans around the world." End quote. And that is from Mr. Affleck himself. Uh, there is more to this article. I'm only going to finish there so that you know you can check out the rest of the article and um, bask in Variety's exclusivity on this news. Um, what do you think there, Tim? Is this surprising for you? Um, I'm actually taken a bit aback because I was really, really looking forward to his direction uh, because he's a fantastic director, in my opinion. Um, I know you have some other news relating to Ben Affleck that might tie into this tangentially, I don't know. But what are your thoughts, sir? So
1: many people are going to be pissed off about this. Man, that's <laughs> that's crazy. It's definitely kind of a bomb for fans of the Batman, the at least the Batman films because it would have been interesting to see what kind of direction he would have taken it, but he said this from the very beginning if he's not going to wait around forever to make the movie. And it sounds like wonder brothers wants to take their time putting it together to produce it. They want to do the flash movie. They want to do the Aquaman movie. They want to do all this other stuff to set up the, um, you know, the rest of the justice league that I really don't think they're worried about wanting to get a, a Ben Affleck Batman movie uh, uh, going right away. At, at least, you know, that was the case like a year or so ago or half a year ago. I don't know really where they're standing right now, but it kind of sounds like they're still dilly-dallying a little too much for Ben Affleck. So it's, it's a shame. It's a shame.
0: Right on, right on. Okay, well then I'm going to go ahead and jump real quickly into my first of two news pieces here, um, of, of actual news pieces that were discussed beforehand and not sandbagging Tim with, like, what the hell is he talking about stuff. <laughs> uh, from EW.com, which of course is Entertainment Weekly, by way of Kathy, uh, Eric Dowd, Viola Davis becomes the first black actress to earn three... Oscar nominations. Uh, Apparently, this article originally appeared on People.com. It says here that Viola Davis just earned her place in the record books. The 51-year-old actress earned her third Academy Award nomination when she received a Best Supporting Actress Not for her role in Fences, and in the process became the most nominated black actress in Oscar history. Um let's see here we'll skip down there a little bit here it says that if she wins she will inch close to coveted egot status already bringing home an emmy for her role in how to get away with murder and a tony award in 2010 for fences in addition to an earlier tony win in 2001 um what do you think there tim there's uh this is uh, a pretty short article i've read maybe a third to third to half of it um what, what, do you, what do you think there? Are you surprised by this? Not surprised? Are you excited? Do you... I mean, clearly we're big fans of her, as we discussed last week. But um...
1: She's great. I mean, I've yet to see her on the stage performing. But if her performance in Fences means anything, she definitely deserves it. From the first time I've ever noticed her in like the early 2000s uh, in a movie... She's always impressed me, and she's just a, an incredibly strong actress, of an incredibly strong performer, and she gives it her all in these roles, and that's what I really like. So I'm happy for her. I'm glad to see her uh, following in the same footsteps as many other greats who uh, accomplished such great things. Good for her.
0: Outstanding. Yes. And, I'm, and I do hope that she can somehow manage to pull off her EGOT. I don't know where the, the Grammy necessarily will come from, but... Um, clearly the oscar is going to be the hardest one um and so since she's already got the emmy and the tony then uh she lands the oscar later this month or i guess yeah because i mean we're recording on the 30th of january but by the time you listen it's definitely going to be february so if she lands the oscar by the end of this month um you know the Grammy might not be far behind. All right, take it away there, Tim. What do you got for us?
1: All right, first up, via the HollywoodReporter.com. I don't think we covered this last week or not. Mary Tyler Moore passed away. If we didn't cover it, because I'm trying to remember if she passed away before or after we recorded last week. But if we did not cover it, I'm not going to cover it really this week other than just mentioning it. Because we all know that she passed away. And she's a beloved actress and she is significantly more well known than this fellow here John Hurt who passed away a couple days ago at the age of 77. So from the com, John Hurt, Oscar nominated star of The Elephant Man dies at 77. This is written by Dwayne Burge and it says this. The British actor of stage and screen also received an Academy Award nomination for Midnight Express and was memorable in Alien, Three Harry Potter Films, and Doctor Who. John Hurt, the esteemed British actor known for his beery voice and weathered visage, one that was kept hidden for his most acclaimed role, that of the deformed John Merrick in David Lynch's The Elephant Man, died Friday in London. He was 77. The two-time Oscar nominee's six-decade career also included turns on the BBC's Doctor Who and In a Man for All Seasons in 1966, Midnight Express in 1978, and three Harry Potter films. Hurt announced in 2015 that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. On screens big and small, Hurt died what seemed a thousand deaths. Quote, I think I've got the record, end quote. he once said. Quote, it got to a point where my children wouldn't ask me if I died, but rather, how do you die? End quote. On his YouTube page, a video titled, quote, The Many Deaths of John Hurt, end quote, compiled his cinematic demises in four minutes and 30 seconds. From The Wild and the Willing to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, 40 in all. That's a lot of on screen deaths. One of his most memorable came from when he played Kane, the first victim in Ridley Scott's Alien, in which he collapses over a table and a snake-like alien bursts out of his chest. Uh, there's plenty more to go on this article, so do check it out. R.I.P. John Hurt, Oscar-nominated star of The Elephant Man dies at 77 via TheHollywoodReporter.com. And I'm going to jump over to my Ben Affleck news Via SlashFilm.com, Ben Affleck's Live By Night loses $75 million for Warner Brothers. This here is written by N.G. Hahn. Yes, he lost Warner Brothers $75 million. Live By Night probably sounded good on paper. Ben Affleck's last three directorial efforts were all well-received, with Argo even snagging Best Picture in 2013, and Affleck's career as a star is burning bright as ever thanks to Batman, all of which would have made Live by Night seem like a solid next step, possibly even awards contender. But the gangster drama didn't just disappoint, it flat-out flopped, And now, Warner Brothers is looking at a reported $75 million loss on the movie. Based on a novel by Dennis Lehane, whose books have also served as the source material for Mystic River, Shutter Island, and Affleck's own Gone Baby Gone, Live By Night stars Affleck as a gangster doing business in Prohibition-era Florida. It's got a great supporting cast, including Zoe Zaldana, Elle Fanning, Sienna Miller, Chris Cooper, and Brendan Gleeson. Alas, none of this was enough to make Live By Night a hit. Since opening Christmas Day, the drama, which cost $65 million to produce, has only managed to scrape together about $16.5 million worldwide. Not domestically, but it only has made, so far, $16.5 million worldwide. That's insane critics and awards voters haven't exactly been over the moon about it either live by night has just a 32 on rotten tomatoes lower than resident evil the final chapter or triple x return of xander cage on par with monster trucks and a dog's purpose <laughs> and has been completely shut out of the awards race end all quotes there um Matt, what do you think about this? Uh, Were you surprised by Live By Night being such a flop, not only critically, but financially? Or uh, Well,
0: I I think we might have just answered the question of why the Batman is no longer on (laughs) Ben Affleck's directorial slate.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: I didn't know he directed... Live by Night. I knew he was in it. I had no idea he
1: directed it. I did not know he also produced it. It's because Warner Brothers cannot afford to make the Batman.
0: Wow. That is crazy. Holy crap. Poor guy. Well, I th- yeah, I think we have definitely found the reason why. Um, I, I, I truly, I did not know that he had directed and produced it. So... Yeah, I guess that would make sense now as to why he is no longer directing the Batman.
1: <laughs> I'm curious okay. to see it though. Uh, live by Night It's going to be. A I know. Rental, I want to see for it for now sure.
0: too. I, I am definitely. I'm definitely going to see it now. I, I, you know, if for nothing else, then when you can't help but not look away from the train wreck. Uh, so,
1: but 16.5 um, million dollars worldwide. Do you realize that split? It's been out for ten days now. We're recording on January thirtieth. It's been out mm. for ten days and I think it's at seventy seven million dollars domestically. And it cost well, no, them but nine I, million dollars. But look make.
0: at when it came out though. I mean, if you look at I mean, this was destined from the get go to try and be like I don't want to necessarily say Oscar bait per se, but this was definitely supposed to be like award season material. And it, and it came out on Christmas. So you it's fighting against all the other Christmas stuff. And if it doesn't make a voice then, if it doesn't make a voice for itself then, it's not surprising that
1: no one's picked up on it since then. Well, but so, even Passengers came out on Christmas and it did and pa- not do yeah, well, but yet it's made $90 million Plus box Let me give you domestic. a spoiler
0: for you know. Yeah, because people are still like ridiculously retardedly into um, fucking Hunger Games. What the fuck is her name? And Chris Pratt, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, and Chris Pratt. So every it was just name recognition alone. Yeah, people know who Ben Affleck is because of uh, you know because of Batman v Superman, but they don't. They don't necessarily recognize it off the bat in a period piece gangster film that also happens to have Elle Fanning, Brendan Gleason, uh, Chris Messina, Sienna Miller. Yes, I mean, Zo- Zoe Saldana. Is it Zoe or Zoe? You said Zoe. I don't know. And I called okay. her Zaldana instead of Saldana. The name recognition isn't, doesn't necessarily trump what the movie is because people aren't necessarily seeing the movie. Because they don't want to see the period piece, especially the kinds of people who would go and see Guardians of the Galaxy for Zoe Saldana and or uh, the Batman for Ben Affleck. So I, I don't think that's necessarily a fair comparison. I'm not saying, I'm not trying,
1: I haven't seen the movie. I'm not trying to say
0: that the movie is
1: better than what's being said. I was only saying that because the movie came out on Christmas, and but that's not really an excuse, the reason why it, it didn't make it so good. But I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's because of the the material And some of the casting choices, it just wasn't a strong, it just wasn't a strong release, especially for the budget.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't that, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, let's see. All right. So, Fences, Hidden Figures, uh, Live by Night, 20th Century Women, and Tony Erdman, uh, were all released on christmas day last year um amongst the other movies that released in december at that time you had passengers assassins creed sing uh collateral beauty <laughs> <laughs> all right uh rogue one um incarnate office christmas party why him miss Sloan, nocturnal animals um so There was, okay, and so let's take out things like Miss Sloan. We know that didn't do well. Nocturnal Animal is also weird. But why him, Office Christmas Party, Rogue One, Sing, Assassin's Creed, and Passengers, and then you're trying to do that on Christmas Day by busting up against fences, hidden figures, and um, 20th Century Women? You know, I still maintain that... Maybe they shouldn't have given it a sixty-five million dollar budget, but this was not a movie that was destined to go and be, you know, a hundred million dollar plus movie.
1: Yeah, I'm just surprised the accountant did significantly better,
0: and that might have been also why they held off to to release it for Christmas because the accountants did did so well, and so they're like, ooh, maybe we can get it in with the Christmas, you know, maybe they should have. Slated it back for a January release when it was slower and people had a better chance of at least going to check it out. But now we'll never know, but we sure do know what happened to the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else you got, sir? Or am I, or am I jumping back in? Uh, yeah, go for it. Alright, my last piece of news also from EW.com, again, Entertainment Weekly. Uh, this from Ale Russian. Lin Manuel Miranda is just one step away from an EGOT after Oscar Nam. Uh, again, this article also originally appeared on People.com. It says, look how far he's come! Hamilton writer, actor, composer, Lin Manuel Miranda is now only one step away from claiming the coveted EGOT title thanks to his Academy Award nomination for Moana's How Far I'll Go. The Elite Club of Performers features people who have won all four major entertainment awards, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Now, what is important to note about, um, Miranda's, uh, potential EGOT is that he will only be the 14th, uh, competitive winner which means they they weren't for like a lifetime achievement award or for services to the industry or things of that nature where they just kind of go hey you know sorry you didn't ever get one for a professional work piece but here um those still do count uh but it's a, they consider it a non competitive list which is like 22 or 27 people the actual competitive winners there's only been 13 so uh, that is where we're at on that. Now, um, I personally, first time I ever saw Lynn Manuel Miranda was on the reboot of The Electric Company. Um, my oldest daughter watched it when she was like four and five years old, and he had this amazing rap, uh, that he did about the difference between soft g and hard g so grape versus gymnasium right and um that's the first time i ever saw the guy and then all of a sudden i saw him on house and uh seen him in other things and then i see you know oh this is the hamilton guy and i'm like holy crap he wrote all these amazing songs from Rwanda. so i'm like yeah go dude from electric company and i mean you you think it's kind of funny but at the same time The award-winning performer is also on the cusp of history, as he would be the youngest person to earn the title if he wins. At just 37 years old, Miranda is two years younger than the current record held by Robert Lopez, who was 39 when he won the Oscar for his work on Frozen in 2014 and completed his EGOT. Uh, But, Miranda wouldn't just claim the record for youngest person to win all four awards. He would also be the fastest person to do so. His EGOT clock started ticking in June 2008, when he won his first Tony for the musical In the Heights. That means an, uh, that an Oscar win would come less than nine years later, one year earlier than Lopez's even decade. Lopez also started his decade-long journey by winning a Tony in 2004 for Avenue Q. Um i'm gonna stop there if uh his emmy by the way was for the uh tony uh tony award uh opening number back in 2013 that neil patrick harris did and i went back and watched that holy shit it's amazing um please feel free to jump in and read the rest of that article i highly encourage you to do so and to watch the linked um tony award opening number it's it's just fantastic um tim i know that you are a greater fan of kubo versus moana on the whole but um at least from what you know of the songs that you've heard and everything do you you know are you pulling for lin manuel do you care um do you want someone else to win do you care Where <laughs> where do you find yourself on this
1: um I think the majority, I thought the majority of the songs from Moana are very good. I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting all the nominees for Best Song, because it's going to be, I, I think it's going to make a big difference going through and actually listening to them one after another, because you're actually going to be able to compare them. But I mean, if he wins it, I, I mean, I haven't listened to all the nominees, but he he did a good job, and they're catchy songs, but, you know, I I, I think they could do better. But then again, I haven't listened to all of them. So if he wins it, I'd be happy. (laughs) I'll be honest
0: with you. I mean, I guess, of course, they want the nomination to go to the song that is kind of like, you know, the flagship song for the movie, which is, of course, how far I'll go. But my personal favorite song is We Know the Way that they. Oh, God, I I want to. I want to stop the show and just go and listen to that. That's how good that song is. Um, I was kind of hoping that one would get nominated. And since they apparently have two songs from La La Land uh, that got nominated, why not get two songs from Moana, too? I don't know. Anyways, all right. Well, that is my news, sir. Do you have anything else?
1: Actually, the last song for La La Land is very good. I think it's Audition. I could totally see that one winning. It's
0: Wasn't that the opening number? That's the opening number, isn't it? Hmm.
1: Unless I'm getting it confused with the other one that's nominated. No, audition is the one at the very end when the relationship has kinda of gone to shit and she's it's kind For some of reason
0: I thought that was huh.
1: Yeah, the opening number. I mean you may be is, right. I
0: just I thought that was the op- I thought audition was the opening number.
1: No. Hmm. No, the opening number is like something day. It's another day, it's a wonderful day. Ah yes.
0: There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You got it. You're right. You got it.
1: And I'm going to wrap up this news, this news, the news, with this io9.com article. The eventual Highlander remake will combine stories from across the franchise. This is written by Jermaine Lucier, and I'm just going to read a bit of this. Nowhere is it more obvious that Highlander is immortal than in Hollywood. The town has been trying to remake the film for the better part of a decade, and the thing just won't die. In that time, multiple directors have worked on the property, and the fact nothing has come of it it suggests it's not the easiest nut to crack. The latest director is John Wick Helmer Chad Stahuliski. And, in a new interview, he explained a bit of why the remake is taking so long. It comes down to this. There's just a lot of material. Highlander isn't just the cult beloved 1986 film. There were four sequels, a live action TV show, animated show, and more. Most of it isn't that memorable, but Staliski has become obsessed with the mythology and is trying to make this film an amalgamation of all the best stuff from everything in the franchise. Speaking to Collider, Soliski explained, quote, I think the TV series hit on a lot of great stuff that wasn't in the feature. Between the Watchers and all the different types of immortals, how do we get this into a feature mode before we dribble it into the TV world? Well, let's restructure it in parts. Let's look at it like it was a TV show. Let's look at it like it was a high-end trilogy. How do we tell the story of the Gathering, the Quickening, the Immortals, and how do we really build this world out even more so than the original project? That's what we're restructuring right now. It's taking all the good stuff that we had before I was involved in the project from the script, redeveloping the script to give us really good chapters 1, 2, and 3, and explaining the world. The article does go on for quite a bit more. Again, that was io9.com, the eventual Highlander remake. will combine stories from across the franchise. Matt, I know you are a Highlander film fan. Uh, what do you think about this news?
0: I think it'll be interesting... If they do successfully pull it together and actually get it into production, I will see it. I, I think it's ambitious though, overall, and I think it's a little too ambitious, and I don't foresee it being successful. But, because I think it would just simply be better to try and let the story itself, which is a really cool story concept, just simply bring it up to date, better visuals, better acting (laughs) and maybe simplify the writing a little bit because i think a lot of the time that people have issues with highlander is that the writing tries to be more than it is and it's and and it lends itself to being performed badly which makes the acting that much worse and 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 if you doubt me go back and look at the highlander tv series Um, it was very popular during its time, but if you watch it today, you're like, holy shit, what were we thinking? And, but it's, but it's because it has such a badass story to tell. So I'm, again, I think it's a very ambitious plan. I will see it if they make it, but I think that they're, you know, trying a little too hard.
1: And that's the news.
0: All right. Well, as we, uh, mentioned last week, we are skipping the, uh, bonus segment here until we knock out the, you know, all of the, um, Oscar stuff that we can. And so without further ado, we will just jump right into the movie. Shall we not, sir? Yes, we shall. (laughs) All right, folks. Here we go. It is time for the (laughs) movie. this week we have got life animated lion a man called obe uh 13 hours the secret soldiers of benghazi and in a very surprise swap due to some uh issues in terms of being able to actually find it properly locally Tana was on this list but it has been swapped out and pushed back we are actually uh, I have sent an email actually to the uh, distribution company to see if we can try and get a hold of this movie uh before it releases in March because that's gonna defeat the purpose so um we had to drop that and we instead put in its place 13th which of course is the documentary on Netflix so where do you want to start sir how about we do 13 hours? Okay. 13 hours. The secret soldiers of Benghazi. Um, all right. So this is basically the retelling of the events, uh, in, uh, Benghazi in 2012. When the, uh, when in Libya we had our compound, not the, um, oh, what, what is the word? Not, not the, uh, not not the embassy there we go good lord it wasn't an embassy it was just a diplomatic compound that we had or or consulate if you prefer uh was breached and we lost our u.s ambassador there amongst other uh americans and of course this did occur on september the 11th 2012 so you know big deal because it's a anniversary of the attacks and this is of course the responders who came uh you know against orders and uh and all odds to go and try and save everybody um all right so if you remember the movie zero dark 30 this is kind of like a michael bay version of that and so you're getting a lot more grit you're getting a lot more action um all revolving around this uh you know true story and while it is in point of fact um true in that yes Benghazi happened and yes there were soldiers who did disobey um or at least you could say um Cause they weren't technically soldiers anymore. They're basically government agents. Um, they're not even government agents, just uh, government contractors. Um, so yes, those things happen, but I mean, with Michael Bay behind the thing, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to do an action oriented, like Oliver Stone pick, right? Like with Nixon, you know? Um, so the action whether you like it or not is pretty much on point um and i was really remarkably surprised by how not over the top it was like i think michael bay actually tried to restrain himself somewhat which you know uh, it's still michael bay don't get me wrong but I was legitimately surprised that the action flowed so well. Um, this, of course, comes at the expense of pretty much everything else, but the narrative is solid and um, it paints a very interesting picture. What I like about it, uh, despite its um, Hollywood makeover, if you will, is I like that it It is presenting a very different narrative than what people have kind of become accustomed to in regards to this subject. Now, this isn't about conspiracy theories or political things or anything of that nature. But I do like um, when somebody actually has um, a side to the story that isn't generally as well known and does it up right. And I think this movie does the job. The acting is, you know, Blah. Uh, the action is good, the story is told, I give this one, oh, what the hell,
1: 3.5
0: out of 5. What do you got there, Tim?
1: I thought it was a pretty good movie, surprisingly. I haven't said that about a Michael Bay movie in many years. It's a restrained Michael Bay movie, but it's still a Michael Bay movie. Some of the action is a little too over the top, a little too stylized, and I just wished he restrained more in that aspect uh, as well in the trying to be funny department as well uh, because you you could play a drinking game with every time somebody mentions freaking Benghazi it's just another Tuesday in Benghazi everybody's got weapons in Benghazi there are just too many freaking references to Benghazi it's very quippy opposed to being like characteristically jokey Just super quippy. And the soldiers also constantly remind us, the audience, when the situation sucks. That makes for a nice Michael Bay 13 hours drinking game. Again, every time somebody mentions Benghazi, take a shot. Every time a character reminds us, the audience, how much danger they are in and how much their situation sucks, take another shot. You will be hammer drunk at the 25-minute mark. It's a little ridiculous how many times they do it. I mean, I'm not not necessarily ridiculous. I think I'm, I'm remembering more than what actually happened. But it's kind of comical the number of times that they mention Benghazi and mention how the situation sucks. So I just wish Michael Bay was more restrained in the script and in the characterizations. Like, there's nothing worse than having forced characterization. Like, I already care for these guys because A, it was a true story. B, they were in a really crappy situation. I didn't have to be reminded about it a million times. I just knew the situation itself was really shitty. And they got screwed over. So, of course, I automatically feel for these characters. I just didn't need the forced characterizations. And really, that's my biggest uh, knock against this movie. That and... Some of the some of the fight scenes, some of the explosions, it was just a little too stylized. But it's still a good movie. Looking back on it, I'm going to give it probably a higher score than what I would have given it right after I finished the movie. I, too, am giving it 3.5 out of 5, where I think while watching it, I was probably teetering around a 3. It's still entertaining. Um, if you're not a nitpicky son of a bitch like myself, and you are a fan of... Michael Bay or movies like this, you're going to love this movie. So do check it out. And it's nominated for sound mixing, I think. So make sure you have a nice pair of headphones on or you have a pretty good sound system because the sound is still pretty impressive. So 3.5 out of 5 on my end.
0: Very good. Uh, Where would you like to turn from here, sir?
1: How about 13th?
0: Alright, 13th, twenty six American, uh, 2016, 13th is a 2016 American documentary by director Ava DuVernay, uh, it's centered on race in the United States criminal justice system, and it is titled after the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which outlawed slavery unless as punishment for a crime. So, um it it's uh th- okay so this this documentary <clears throat> purports to explain um to to explain uh, uh, not a way but to explain um the reasons behind the disparity for um blacks in prison Uh, as a percentage of the population of prisoners as a whole and uh, and in terms of the prison population against the populace of the united states as a whole and it shows how race was used um and they exploited the 13th amendment in order to do that and create the prison system as it has evolved today um Now, in terms of sheer movie making and stuff, and um, and its production value and how slick it is, a plus, absolutely. Um, In terms of the information provided um, and its objectivity versus its dedication to the point it's trying to make, uh, kind of a D. All right, and. Uh, there are facts and figures that are provided in this documentary that are not, no sources are provided for and no data is offered to back it up. They're just boom. And so, um, on a whim, I was like, wow, that just, you know, that is just amazing. So I went to the Bureau of Justice Statistics dot get the BJS dot gov. Um, and was like, wow, this is just in, you know, I can't believe this. So I was looking up the data for myself and started noting vast discrepancies. I also noted that they kind of couched any kind of of dissenting opinion or opposing viewpoint in a, not quite in a mocking fashion, but in a very dismissive fashion. And despite... A lot of the points that were made by a dissenting viewpoint or, um, you know, an opposing view, if, if you don't want to say dissenting necessarily, um, being factual and being able to be backed up by data. Um, so the, and so this is what leads to me being so hard on this film. The, the film has a valid point to make, but when you ignore data and reality simply for the sake of making your own point. Um you, you you damn near undo all of the good that your that your film is meant to do. And I was not a fan I just stopped kind of paying attention by the last 15 minutes because it's just pretty much clear. It's not propaganda or anything like that, but it is very clearly a one-sided argument that doesn't truly want to take into consideration anything other than what it wants to say. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the person, uh, in a room when the, when the discussion gets heated and they just yell everybody else down. I know I've been guilty of that. My bad. But, um, it's kind of like that. You, You might not refute them, but you've already kind of dismissed them as well. Uh, Two stars for me. What do you got there, Tim?
1: When we were talking about it last week, I remember you telling me that was your main, uh, that was like your big drawback uh, with the movie were the statistics, but... As you were talking, I was trying... I was feeding. Not just
0: the statistics. Not
1: not just the statistics. Well, not just the statistics, but a big drawback What were, were the statistics. Like, that kind of... It seemed like a lot of other stuff kind of spawned from that. So I was kind of... I was watching it, and I noticed, like, the statistics start rolling in pretty much from the first, like, five minutes or so, where there, they say, like, in 1970, 300... There, there were 357,292 people in the prison system maybe it was a prison system uh, or prison population I think um mm-hmm. 1980 it's 513 1985 something it's just to show you like okay well the prison population is growing and so as they were coming in I was noticing like what you were mentioning that you know it jumps in population so I went to a website and again I was feverishly trying to find the freaking website that I went to but it was a justice Was it the Bureau of Justice or Justice something? And I
0: don't know. I went to the Bureau of uh, the BJS, Bureau of Justice Statistics.gov, BJS.gov, and pulled up the actual population statistics from 1925 to 1981. I'm not arguing with you, man. I'm just saying that
1: I, I found stuff that leaned a little bit more towards the documentary. And... As I was going through it, I kind of noticed like, oh, well, some of some people aren't taking into consideration that that are only taking into consideration the federal prison system, and other people are only taking into consideration the state prison system. And so as I was adding up different things, and again, it was only for this one website that I went to, uh, it, it kind of it matched up more or less with the documentary. So going into it or going into my review. That that didn't really bother me as much. Again, I don't know if I was looking at the right thing, but I found something that was that was an official website of some sort, and I'll do more research as to what uh, website I was on. Uh, but it was like the bureau or a justice, some kind of and justice prison uh, website. But again, it was official. But the doc itself, the doc itself sets out to help people understand the challenges that black people have been put through in America. Not only in the prison system, because if you think about it, a lot of, uh, I mean, it's not only, it doesn't necessarily limit itself to black people in the prison system, but it makes a point to include everybody. People that that were wrongfully put in prison due to their class, due to their lack of wealth, due to their color, even, not just black, but uh, Hispanics as well. So it, it's a very kind of all-inclusive kind of documentary for the most part, especially once it starts getting into, uh, into the prison system and why certain people ended up in the prisons. But the, but the documentary does cover a whole wide range of information, like uh, the prison population skyrocketed in the 1970s under Nixon and continued to rise after that. And then Ronald Reagan's administration in the 80s was responsible for record homeless rates and the war on drugs. And the war on drugs started again with Nixon, but it was Reagan who was the one that declared war on drugs. And originally, what it points out was that the war on drugs under Nixon was really against the hippies for pot and uh, the blacks for cocaine. But Reagan's literal war on drugs targeted pot, But it really went after the African-American and Hispanic communities. Again, most of them were African-American due to the historical elements that occurred after the establishment of the 13th Amendment. And the war on drugs became the war on the poor communities of color and uh, Hispanic communities as well. And then through the mid-80s and into the 1990s, you see a spike in this war on drugs in the media with the cliched black people stereotypes appearing on media of various sorts, cops. You see a lot of these people being labeled as what they called super predators in the 80s. So the label of super predators for a lot of like young African-American men who got into trouble, it created this primitive fear against these men. And it was just very interesting. And of course, like the people that did do wrong and deserved a punishment, but maybe they might've deserved punishment on a lesser degree. They're not completely like, like, like the people that are, that are in this documentary that are being interviewed are all incredibly competent people. They're smart. They, uh, they, they know what they're talking about and you know, they're, they're established within their communities and within education as well. They're not taking murderer's sides you know horrific drug dealer's sides but obviously if somebody murders a family they should be treated differently than somebody who was holding cocaine or distributing cocaine distributing marijuana you know those are two different offenses that's something that i kind of appreciated about this documentary i i thought in that way it was very even-handed from beginning to end it wasn't a captivating A completely captivating documentary for me. I thought the first 70 minutes of it were uh, very interesting and informative. A lot of it I did know, but it was interesting seeing it play out and described in such a way, in a very informative way and a well-spoken way. But then they were trying to link various issues with uh, race in America and how the African-American community was uh, being uh, uh, being treated and, and linking that with some company that has a hand in politics. It's the one that starts with an A, Alicor or whatever. Once it starts getting into that stuff with companies and politics and how that affects race and the lower class and the prison system and all that, that's where the movie kind of lost me a little bit. Like it was trying to reach for too much. But um, other than that, I just thought it was an, a very informative documentary. I think it's worth the praise that it's been receiving. And, I've, I, you know, it's on Netflix, and I do recommend people uh, check it out. Uh, I do, however, don't think it's an absolutely fantastic movie, but very informative. So I'm going to stick with 3.75 out of 5.
0: All right, sir. Uh, where do you want to go from here?
1: How about Lion? Lion.
0: All right, Uh, let's see here. Lion, 2016 drama film directed by Garth Davis, Um, and it is uh, written by Luke Davies, based on the nonfiction book A Long Way Home by Saru Brearley with Larry Batros. Uh, Film stars Dev Patel, Rooney Mara, David Wynum, uh, Nicole Kidman, amongst a host of others, and talks about a gentleman by the name of Saru who is trying to work his way back home after being separated from his uh, family when he was a very small boy, and subsequently adopted by an Australian family. Uh This is based on a true story, and uh Dev Patel is obviously playing Saru in this film. Um, alright, this movie, for me, is actually my favorite movie of this week, believe it or not. Um i um i think that what makes this movie work so well is uh, okay I, i have to take us back way way jump into the way back machine when we did a three squared where we named movies where we felt cinematography was basically a character in the movie and that's what happens here as far as i am concerned uh this movie is just absolutely gorgeous and even when it's showing you some of the most uh brut- brutal and despairing things that life can throw at you especially in um, uh in india there's still a beauty to it and i think that's part of the character if you will that the cinematography plays uh in this in this movie and greg frazier by the way is the uh cinematographer and i think that because of that bolstered by great performances by the way by dev patel and rumi mara um it it really um it just really drives the emotion home of someone who is willing to risk it all to try and find his family and juxtapose that against the idea of is he really throwing his current family away? And while in and of itself, it's never like put to you in that direct of a context, you kind of start to come to the conclusion that, you know, can, can Saru have his cake and eat it too, if you will. Um, the only thing that I felt was really, that really hurt this movie overall for me, and not by much, <laughs> uh, when all is said and done, is that I felt that it was, it was a little too sappy sometimes. Um, it, it wasn't it didn't move you for the sake of moving you. It was trying to be a tearjerker. And when it crosses that threshold, I think it, I think it kind of shatters um the illusion that the film is creating. So, um and, and it doesn't do it a lot, but it, I felt that it did it enough. And so, Um, I will give this a 4.5 out of 5. It's a fantastic movie. I am so glad that I got an opportunity to see it. Um, And I highly encourage you to do so as well. What do you got there, Tim?
1: It's a good movie. Lion is a good movie that deserves all the attention that it has been getting. Does it deserve the attention the Academy Awards is giving it? I don't know. Um... I thought Nicole Kidman gave a really good performance. I thought Dev Patel gave a really good performance. But what really made this movie was the first half of the movie, the first 55 minutes of the movie, focuses completely on young Saru, played by Sunny Pawar. And it goes into great detail and great setting up of this character, of Dev Patel's older version of Saru. It goes into great detail setting it up by showing you exactly what this young boy was put through, what happened to him, what his life was like when he was still with his mother and was still with his brother, and then like how naive he was when he got stuck on that train that took him many, many miles away from home to where he was pretty much lost forever. The movie takes its time setting that up, and I, that was just my favorite part. It was completely captivating. The young boy who played young Saru, uh, Sonny Pawar, did a phenomenal job, and the shit that he encountered along his way to meeting Nicole Kidman, to meeting his new family, it was just awe-inspiring. Not necessarily awe-inspiring as in... It was just fantastic what he was put through. No, I don't mean that at all. It's just, it's awe-inspiring because this young boy had to go through it, and yet he came out all right. And as what you see with his adopted stepbrother, all most of them probably did not come out all right, those who also went through such a thing. It, it was just fascinating. And then 55 minutes into the movie, it switches over to Older Saru with Dev Patel. I thought his performance was just a little too melodramatic for my taste. And honestly, I kind of think that was my biggest knock against the movie. It just went too much into melodrama territory when I did want something more organic and more maybe nuanced. Not this whole, like, I'm not you know like he goes through this whole thing where he's not talking to his girlfriend where he completely kind of pushes her away and shuns her you kind of think it's inadvertently because he's he's dealing with so much emotion so much emotion raw emotion but then again he kind of comes across as uh, immature but then it all kind of ties in with the whole melodrama thing it's just a little too melodramatic it's still a good movie so I'm sitting at four out of five with this movie and it is i agree with you matt it is beautifully shot
0: all right well then let's see here uh we are now down to two movies left where do you want to go
1: how about a man called ove or ove (laughs)
0: ove all right a man called ove or uve depending on how you're hearing it because i kind of say it both ways uh it's a swedish comedy drama or dramedy uh which was released to cinemas uh back in uh actually in christmas of 2015 so it's really interesting how far behind um the the foreign movie markets uh foreign films go in terms of our oscar season which is kind of interesting um but yes basically we're dealing with a um Uve or ove and he is the town uh, the town curmudgeon if you will um he is uh widowed and suicidal and he gets some new neighbors and these new neighbors help him um well they kind of help each other but they help him realize that there's other there are other things in life that make life worth living um now, I, uh, we covered a movie last year. Um, Learning to Drive is that the one with Ben Kingsley, Tim?
1: Uh, yes, yeah. Where she's the the older woman who needs to learn mm-hmm. how to drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So this
0: movie is in that vein. Um, it's it's a heartwarming story, and it's 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 simple. It's to the point but unlike other ones this one is not by the numbers there's there's lots of earnestness in the performances there is um cleverness to the writing and there is just a real oh what's the word i'm looking for it's what the french call i don't know what um and oh gosh honestly i guess we'll just go with charm it's just got an overall charm that really keeps you engaged in this movie um and it is actually my second favorite movie of the week but i i mean and while it's simple and it's charming and yet it's still engaging and it's fun um in the in the vast scheme of things it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. So it's not anything you've never really seen before, um, but that doesn't stop it from being done exceptionally well. And again, I say this every year, this is why you should watch foreign movies. Guys, please jump in there. I know that we have people out there, (laughs) Johnny White Trash, and even my brother-in-law. That's right. I won't name you by name because you didn't say that I could. But you guys... People like you, you've got to go out and give these movies a chance. I really and truly think that you will be pleasantly surprised by movies like this. Um, so at the end of the day, I give this one 4.25 out of 5. Um, and the only reason that the the score is docked is because, again, on the whole, it's not really bringing a whole lot new to the table. But what it does bring is, is stellar. Uh, what do you got there, Tim?
1: I love it. That's all I got to say about this movie. I do have a handful of nitpicky things that I could talk about, but I'm not going to. I give this one 4.75 out of 5. It's an excellent film. Well cast. Well produced. Do check it out. On iTunes currently, I think it's like 99 cents or something like that. Well worth your $1. A dollar! Throw a fucking dollar at it.
0: What the shit, (laughs) y'all? <laughs> All right. That's going to leave us with Life Animated 2016 American documentary. Uh, it's directed by Roger Ross Williams. And, uh, it is based on, uh, a book, um, by Ron Suskind, uh, called An- Life Animated, a story of sidekicks, heroes, and autism. And of course, this tells the story of his son, Owen Suskind, who's, uh, basically has struggled with autism his whole life and, Well, actually, and the funny thing is not his whole life. Up until he was three, um, he was, you know, seemed like a completely normal kid. Everything was fun, fantastic. And then all of a sudden, uh, autism developed and he kind of shut down. And then through the magic of Disney, no kidding, no shit, through the magic of Disney movies, Owen came back out of a shell. Now... What I like about this movie, aside from, as you guys know, I'm a huge Disney freak. Um, what I love about this movie is how it takes all of the things that you love about everything from your childhood. It doesn't have to be Disney. In this particular vein, it is Disney, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be Disney. Everything that you love about the movies, about the television, about the things that you, um, about the media you consumed as a child that you remember that really shaped and left, you know, indelible images uh, and memories on you, you can see that magnified 100-fold in Owen. And yet and yet the movie's magic is also what hurts the movie because what the movie fails to do is it fails to really answer the question of what happens what happens next okay um whereas we Um, we grow we mature maybe we don't mature Um, we develop tastes we learn how to adult as best as we can and we move forward with our lives we cherish those things from our childhood um, but we don't let them define us in owen's case it's almost all he has to define him due to his autism and the, the movie shines so brightly by demonstrating this, but it fails to answer the question of what next. How does it adult, how does he adult? Right? Um, because there's only so much that, you know, Disney magic can do because it's not designed to do more than entertain and to mean something in the regards of, A childish manner and it's not to say that you can't be touched like you know how when i was going on and on about inside out it's not that's again it's not saying that movies can't touch you and mean something to you but when the very definition of these movies are the catharsis that allow you to deal with something as as heavy as autism Where do you go from there? This movie never really touches that. It does, it does show some of the difficulties in Owen's life and stuff. Um, and, and it does talk about those things, but it doesn't ever really deal with them. Um, and yet at the same time, it doesn't present, oh, show your autistic kid, you know, uh, Disney as a cure-all. It doesn't do that either. Um, but I think that because it's, because at its heart, it's showing what disney did for owen um it it can't quite carry the rest of the day in terms of what's owen going to have to do without disney um so i give this one 3.75 out of 5 uh it's a great movie definitely recommend it but i think that um without being able to answer those questions or at least give you something that would put you on the path or at least kind of gives you the feeling that there's something on the path to answering those questions um it it's not it it fails to achieve greatness so 3.75 out of 5 bring us home there tim
1: five star movie for me my favorite of the entire week uh, probably the best documentary I've seen in quite some time uh that we've covered on the show it's absolutely wonderful. It's incredibly touching. I thought the documentary was perfect, because what I got out of Owens from his autism is that he needs this. Like, it's now a part of him. You know, that's the Disney movies are a part of him, and I, that's how I felt at the end of the movie. Like, he's just—it's it's his thing. He's able to— go to work. He's able to pretty much kind of help. I mean, he's learning how to cook himself, at least by the end of the cook himself, (laughs) to cook for himself, at least by the end of the movie. And he's virtually living on his own, like living in his own apartment with assisted living, obviously. Disney, and what I got out of it was that Disney movies was his... I don't want to say not necessarily backbone, but it's the basis of his life. It's the foundation that he needs to feel comfortable to walk on. It's something that he can always look back on and, and, and look forward to. It'll always be there because he's learned so many lessons, lifelong lessons from those films. And it's just a part of him. At least that's what I got out of it. I, again, I, I loved this documentary. It's touching. Owen is, just seems like a wonderful guy, a wonderful human being, and thankfully he had the fantastic parents that he has, because they're just absolutely wonderful. And hearing those heartbreaking stories of when one day the father's playing with the son, they're outside play, role-playing Peter Pan, and then all of a sudden the next day his child was gone for many years. It's just absolutely heartbreaking, even when you know what the outcome is. So five out of five. Please, guys, this is on Amazon Prime, I think. It's worth watching. Do yourself a favor and check it out. Five stars for me.
0: We have been both together and apart
1: this week. We need some
0: We need some feedback, people. Do you agree with Tim? Do you agree with me more where we've deferred? Um, do, do, do you disagree with both of us? on the things that we agreed on or are you just completely uh you know in another space in terms of you know how we were rating our movies this week please let us know uh but next week's movies are going to be 20th century woman passengers captain fantastic and the like five hour and 40 minute series oj made in america so without further ado i believe that brings us to the spiel does it not sir Spiel on Oh Right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. You can always subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio and or follow us on the old soundcloud so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to john krasinski i get to say this guys have a level of insecurity and vulnerability that's exponentially bigger than you think with the primal urge to be alpha
1: comes extreme heartbreak the harder we fight the harder we fall take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week